0: Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Well, it looks like today we hit on a battle from the French Revolution. Specifically, we'll be talking about the Battle of Valmy on September 20th, 1792. While it's not one of the better-known revolutionary battles, this War of the First Coalition clash has heroics, a questionable military decision, and most of all, is quite significant To the further development of the French Revolution. So let's see what happened. As the French Revolution rolled into the summer of seventeen ninety one, France had a constitutional monarchy. Louis XVI was still a king, though his powers were greatly limited and he was becoming rather uncooperative. There was also the National Assembly, which was the legislature they were hard at work putting the finishing touches on the constitution they had promised two years earlier during the tennis court oath. Louis XVI and his family were living in the Tuileries Palace, under virtual house arrest. Though he had grudgingly agreed to his role as constitutional monarch, he didn't like the way things were going. So on June 20th, he and his family tried to escape France with the idea of reaching the Austrian Netherlands. Remember, Marie Antoinette was the sister of Austrian ruler Leopold II. The idea, of course, was for Louis to gain support from his in-laws for a counter-revolution. Unfortunately for Big Lou and his family, they were captured the next day and brought back to Paris. The capture of the royal family, along with the continuing violence of the revolution, caused the other monarchs of Europe to become concerned. Would the revolutionary fervor in France spread to their countries? Would Louis and his family be threatened and maybe even come to harm? These were things they certainly didn't want to see happen. So, on August 27, 1791, Austrian Emperor Leopold II and Prussian King Frederick Wilhelm II got together and issued the Declaration of Pilnitz. This statement said, that if Louis and his family were threatened or harmed, then Austria and Prussia would intervene. It also called on the other European powers to get involved as well. Meanwhile, back in France, the Constitution of 1791 was finished, and elections were held in September for a new legislature, the Legislative Assembly. One of the provisions for this election was that current deputies in the National Assembly would be ineligible to participate. The result was that this new legislative assembly was made up of bourgeoisie from, I guess you could say, a younger generation than those in the National Assembly. The elected legislative assembly was seated at the start of October 1791. They interpreted the Declaration of Pilnitz to mean that Austria and Prussia were threatening the revolution. This notion, Coupled with the fact that Austria and Prussia formed a defense alliance in February of 1792, was used by radicals in the new government to build support for going to war. On April 20th, 1792, France declared war against Austria and Prussia and attacked their forces that were stationed along the French border. This would be the start of France's revolutionary wars, specifically the War of the First Coalition. And yes, I greatly simplified this just to keep the story moving. So anyway, with the support of Austria and Great Britain as well, King Frederick Wilhelm II of Prussia sent a large army under the leadership of the Duke of Brunswick to invade France and march toward Paris. The intent here was to overthrow the revolution and restore the traditional monarchy. The campaign's early encounters in the summer of 1792 saw the French army doing rather poorly. So poorly, in fact, that Brunswick was able to drive his army dangerously deep into France. Meanwhile, French commander Charles Dumoyer was marching his Army of the North in a northeasterly direction, intent on attacking the Austrian Netherlands. With Brunswick's threat to Paris this plan had to be scrapped, and he was ordered to go after the Prussians. To help with this, General Francois Kellerman's Army of the Center was ordered to link up with Dumouriez in a mutual defense. So, before we go on, let's look at what each side is potentially bringing to the fight. For France, the forces of Dumouriez and Kellerman combined numbered about 54,000 men. About half of the French infantry were regulars of the old Royal Army, as was most of the cavalry and most of the artillery. The French artillery, by the way, was regarded as the best in Europe at this time. All these experienced veterans served to provide a professional corps, around whom the enthusiastic volunteer battalions could find steady leadership. Meanwhile, Brunswick had a force of about 84,000 men, It was largely made up of experienced Prussian and Austrian regulars. There was also a large contingent of Hessians, along with a complement of troops from the French Royalist Army of Candi. So although this was a coalition force, I'm just going to refer to them as Prussians from here on. So the invading Prussians easily captured Longwy on August 23rd, and then moved on to take Verdun on September 2nd. They then began to push toward Paris, through the Argonne Forest. It was at this time that Du Mourier halted his advance on the Austrian Netherlands and reversed his course. This meant that his force was pursuing the Prussians from the rear. Kellerman and his army were at Metz, and they moved to link up with Dumouriez. This was achieved at the village of St. Menehold on September 19th. This now put the combined French forces east of the Prussians and behind their lines. This meant that, theoretically, Brunswick could have marched his army straight to Paris with little or no opposition. Of course, this option was never seriously considered. The position of the French forces put the Prussian lines of supply and communications in a dangerously vulnerable position. To make matters worse, Bad weather had set in, along with a sharp increase in illness among the Prussian troops. Let's remember that in the warfare of this era, illness killed way more soldiers than actual combat. Brunswick realized that his only viable option was to turn his forces and give battle to the French. On September 20th, 1792, Prussian troops marching in a ridiculously heavy downpour Trudged through the northern woods of the Argonne in an effort to cut off Dumouriez's forces. As this muddy maneuver was almost completed, Kellerman advanced his left wing and took up a position on a small ridge between St. Menehold and Valmy. He centered his command around an old windmill, which French troops quickly burned down. They did this because they didn't want the Prussian artillery spotters to be able to use it as a sighting location. At this point, Kellerman had about 36,000 troops and 40 well placed cannons at his disposal. Seeing Kellerman's maneuver, Brunswick countered by bringing up about 34,000 of his troops and 54 cannons to engage the French. As the Prussians began to emerge from the woods, a long range artillery duel ensued. Although the Prussians had more cannons, the French batteries showed their superior skill. The Prussian infantry was sent in to try to advance, under fire, across the open ground. This proved to be fruitless. With the Prussian infantry wavering in their advance, we come to the pivotal moment of the battle. Kellerman began to wave his hat and called out, Viva la Nation! This cry was repeated by other troops up and down the French lines. Some began to cheer, while others began to sing La Marseillaise. All this had a crushing effect on Prussian morale, so much so that, to pretty much everyone's surprise, Brunswick broke off the engagement and retreated from the field. Wait, what was that? They retreated? The battle was just getting started. What's up with that? Well, yeah, even though the forces were almost equal in size, and even though there had been relatively few casualties on either side, about 300 for the French and 200 for the Prussians, Brunswick decided to quit the field. The Prussian forces rounded the French positions at a great distance, and then began a rapid retreat eastward. But that still begs the question of why did Brunswick withdraw? Well, there never has been a definitive answer to that question. The best historians can do is to give a number of factors that, when combined, perhaps explain Brunswick's actions so let's take a look at them. First, the French held a highly defensible position. They had the high ground, and their artillery had demonstrated its superiority early in the battle. Along with this, thrown the completely unexpected élan with which the French soldiers fought, as evidenced by their shouting and singing. These two factors demonstrated to Brunswick that this battle had the potential to be extremely costly for his forces if he continued to press the attack. Furthermore, although the early part of his campaign was marked by aggressive tactics, Brunswick was, by nature, rather cautious. Meeting this determined foe, and with reports of the French army's numbers growing through citizen volunteers, Brunswick just didn't have the will to carry things through when push came to shove. Valmy goes down as a decisive victory for the French and the turning point of this Prussian campaign. Though French forces didn't do much to pursue the retreating Prussians, they still had a rough go of it, facing food and supply shortages and increasing illness, especially dysentery, among the troops. Their retreat would continue well past the Rhine River. French forces would strike forward into the German states and take Mainz in October. Dumouriez went northward again and invaded the Austrian Netherlands. He and his troops enjoyed great success in November of 1792 at Gemat, but then their fortune soured. By the following fall, Dumouriez's army had suffered such catastrophic losses that he defected to the royalist side of the revolution. As for Kellerman, he and his troops secured the front at Metz. He then went on to a long and distinguished military career and was made the Duke of Valmy by Napoleon in 1808. So then, what is the significance of this battle? Valmy came to be celebrated as the first great victory of the French Revolutionary Forces, a citizen army fighting for liberty and nationalism. I know, the majority of the troops at the battle were professional soldiers, but thousands more were citizen volunteers, and the number of volunteers would continue to grow, by tens of thousands, and then hundreds of thousands, as time went on. The day the battle took place was also the day that the Legislative Assembly formally turned over power to the National Convention. Over the following two days, this new National Convention, overjoyed by news from Valmy, abolished the monarchy and proclaimed the French Republic. That certainly worked out well for the revolution. Maybe not so good for former King Louis, who would find himself without a head in a few more months. Yes, Valmy served as a much-needed source of pride for the revolution, and was certainly a lasting inspiration for what was still to come. At the time, it was considered a decisive defeat of one of the European powers, and historians cite it as a significant battle in terms of allowing the French Revolution to continue to develop. On a side note, remember the windmill that was burned down on the day of the battle? Well, a modern replica has been built on the spot as part of a memorial to the battle. Of course, the French still had a long road ahead of them in terms of the Revolutionary Wars, which, of course, would eventually turn into the Napoleonic Wars. So yeah, Many more battles over many more years. But talking about all those, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you like this episode, please tell your friends and check out some of my other episodes. And I very much look forward to talking with you again in two weeks.